0: Welcome to Rumble Strip, America Heilman. And this is a Vermont public radio series I produced called They Are Us Inside Vermont's Mental Health Care System. Today's show is called Parents. Welcome. When he went to the hospital the first
1: time and was having the evaluation, the medical evaluation, I was hoping it was a brain tumor. Not be- that would kill him, but please don't let it be schizophrenia. Don't let it be
0: that. That's Connie Stabler. Her son was diagnosed with schizophrenia when he was 19, just as he was becoming independent. He didn't believe there was anything wrong with him. He did not want to seek treatment. And since he was legally an adult, his parents stood by and watched his life fall apart. One in a hundred adults are diagnosed with schizophrenia. And for most, the onset is around this time, in late adolescence. Back in the days of the state psychiatric hospital, people with schizophrenia who were in crisis would have been taken there, maybe lived there. Today, psychiatric hospitals are meant to stabilize people in crisis, then send them back to their community. So parents often play a critical role in their care, as caregivers, crisis responders, money lenders, and often they end up having to figure out for themselves which services are available to them in the complex network of programs that make up the community mental health care system. In this segment, you'll hear from two parents, Connie and Ron, from two separate families. Both found support groups at the National Alliance on Mental Illness, or NAMI, which is where I found them. This is a story about what it's like day to day, year to year, to be a parent of an adult child living with schizophrenia. Again, here's Connie.
1: We, you know, were very close and a very loving family. He was uh, remarkable in that he had a very bright mind, but, you know, struggled from the beginning with some distractibility. When he graduated from high school, he moved out because we knew he was not going to be very motivated to get work if he just sat in this house. And so his dad helped him find an apartment and um, a job, and he moved out, and then one day, I got a call from one of his friends who I'd never met, and they said, "We think there's something wrong, you know, with your son, and we think you need to he needs to live with you for a while." <laughs> he said that he had um, showed up very early in the morning on an extremely cold day. It was soaking wet, and said that he'd been walking along the river.
0: For Ron, the story was much the same. He started to notice signs of changes in his son in his first year after high school. We're just using Ron's first name.
2: In transitioning out of high school, uh, college was eliminated for my son, so he elected to go the vocational route. And he, he took courses and was on his way to an apprenticeship. He was agitated on his job. And then he would tell us stories that we really couldn't relate to. You know, like, you know, I'm I'm one of the best apprentices that there ever was. Uh, there were questions of, well, what's wrong today? Well, people are sabotaging my work. And I re- remember having a talk with him. I sat him down to say, you know, you really need to, you know, focus and try later i see him around the house a little too much and i say to him you know what what is happening with your job or whatever the job didn't work out people sabotaging my work so he he abandoned his job so at that point i said that that's it you you have to you're not trying at all you're not and he said to me dad i'm doing the best i can and i said to him if that's doing the best you can uh, get out of my house and i threw him out
1: i remember sitting down with him one time and i don't know what precipitated it but i probably asked him what was going on and that's when he told me and i remember he we were out on the porch and he was pacing back and forth and saying um, you know, I'm I'm on a mission from God, and I don't know what it is yet, Mom. But uh, it will be revealed to me. I've received this gift, and there's nothing there's nothing wrong with me. I've just received this gift.
2: You look at Facebook to try to get hints of what is happening. And we we found posts saying, you know, that he was living out of his car. And uh, he was sleeping in the Walmart parking lot. So one day I got up very early in the morning, 4 o'clock. And I just traveled over the Walmart parking lot. And there was the car. And the car looked trashed. I didn't confront him at the time. I went back home. Boy, and it's like, what is going on?
1: It was in the spring. I was at work, and he called me, and he said, Mom, I'm trying to get to the Howard Center, and I'm lost. He had been taken there once by his dad. So I, I told him now to get there, and he told me that he had almost hurt his girlfriend, and that's what made him so afraid and made him know that he needed help that he had seen something, a monster coming out of her face, and he started to lunge at her but hadn't hurt her. But the fact that he saw that and he almost hurt someone was what precipitated
2: him wanting to get help. Well, after we had episodes and run in with the police over you know, him destroying property and a DUI, You know, as parents, we said, this this isn't like our our son. So we're thinking, okay, this is something that we have to get our hands around and it'll pass. So going to NAMI, there's such a steep learning curve for dealing with something like this.
1: NAMI is the National Alliance on Mental Illness. I heard about the support group and I went to that and I cried there for the first year or two. (laughs) Um, But... What happens sometimes when you first go to a support group and you hear everybody else's stories and that they've been dealing with it for 30 years <laughs> and you just feel like, oh my God, it's going to take my rest of my life is going to be like this. I think, you know, we're going to fix this in a couple years or we're going to get him help and he's going to not be all better maybe, but you know he's he's going to get better and when you hear some of the horrific stories it's unfathomable you can't get your mind around it
2: uh also there's there's this uh grieving because you're you're thinking about you know all the dreams and aspirations that you had for your loved one marriage them getting a career and you see that is drifting away it's a whole new expectation level that you have to get used to and it and it comes to life just meeting someone in the store and asking you know how's your son doing you know he happened to be friends with with my son and you hear how he graduated college oh he has a degree and here and you know how can you not reflect on where your son is? You know, he's, he's just trying to cope every day.
1: Trying to spend time with him. You know, I would lure him with food and he would generally meet up with me. You know, it's very hard when you, you can't reason with someone who you used to be able to reason with. And it's hard even to find that person. But as a mother or a parent, you can't not (laughs) do something.
2: Parents especially, they say, I can't go on like this, having my mentally ill loved one in the same house because I'm not getting sleep. It's, It's affecting my job. And what happens if I lose my job? And, you know, the whole thing starts to unravel. And you make a decision and say, I've reached my tolerance level and they can't live here anymore and housing's not available. So now you find a slumlord that doesn't really care about the housing and you pay for it. That's one of the things that parents especially deal with is when you're on disability, it only covers so much
1: his relationship with his brother is one of the saddest things because they were 12 years apart and very close big brother. He would babysit for him. And then at one point when he started to notice, you know, when he was getting grumpy and stuff and we didn't know what was going on, we asked him to babysit and he said, um, I don't think I should be responsible for someone else right now.
2: And a serious mental illness impacts everyone in the family. My oldest daughter her mind went to, I know this isn't good. My, my brother has schizophrenia and I want to I wanna get married. I want to start a family. You know, we'll always be there as parents, but siblings don't have to be. And no one should hold their feet to the coals. You know, we're, we're in a boat and we're, we're bailing water as fast as we can. And they're not going to help us in the way that we need. And it's hard.
1: The last couple times that I've seen him, he's been in a Middlesex residential blocked facility. I couldn't see him in his eyes anymore. I couldn't find him. I always, before, when I spoke with him, he was able to make eye contact and you could see and and he would say something that you got a flash of who he was. The last few times I didn't see that. That was devastating and it caused me to feel hopeless. I had been able to hold out hope and I'm struggling with that right now.
2: The hardest part about Sitting here with my son right next to me is I don't know what he's feeling. Is there love there? Because he's, you become more robotic. But out of the blue, you know, he'll just say to me, hug me. And, you know, I hug him. And that hug is worth (laughs) a decade of I love yous. There was a time, and there might still be a time, where people feel that um, these bottom feeders really are taking away from the needs of society, and they shouldn't be there. I don't know if you're ever going to change that attitude from that person, I have a story where i I said, "You know, I really need to give back because these people need kindness they they need help. I love to cook, I'm going to make meals. There's a place in Burlington uh that during the the winter months, the warming station it might be called I'm not quite sure." But you can sign up to make meals. So I did my potato leek soup with, you know, cut in sausage and brought these two huge pots there. You know, 35 people, most of them older, but there's, you know, there's some young people too. And I get done with delivering this, and I just, I lost it. The realization was... This is going to be my son when he's older because we're not going to be there anymore. And who's going to make that meal? Hopefully somebody else can fill my shoes when I'm gone. It's it's humanity.
0: You've been listening to VPR's They Are Us inside Vermont's mental health care system. Music for this series is by the bands Godspeed you, Black Emperor and Esmerine. Thank you, Bruce Codron. My big thanks to the professional advisor for this series, Dylan Burns, and associate producers Mark Davis and Claire Dolan. If you have a comment or a story of your own, go to rumblestripvermont.com and go to the bottom of the show page. There's a comment. Uh, box there. And if you want to check out more mental health resources, you can visit vpr.net and click on They Are Us. I'll be back in a couple days with Part 4. Part 4 is about the community mental health care system, what it is, and uh, some of its challenges. America Heilman. Thanks a lot for listening.